We're in a series right now called Unnamed. And the series is looking at the people in the Bible and the scriptures that um, we know of them, we know what they did, we know these kind of stories, but the Bible never names them, never tells us what their name was. And we kind of, as we go through the scriptures, we realize, man, some of these people that were never named actually made an incredible impact for the kingdom of God. And there's some amazing truths we can learn from their lives. And so no matter what your name is, no matter who knows it, I want to encourage you that God's got a great plan for your life. And I want to encourage you with this message today. I want to look at this person we simply know as the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross. We don't know what his name was. All we know is that he's the thief or the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. And Luke 23 we read this uh, passage, and the scene is at the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there's two criminals either side of him being crucified at the same time, if you're not familiar with that story. But in Luke 23, 39, it says this, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Such a beautiful story, such a powerful story of just the grace of God. In the midst of this moment of the crucifixion, he's extending grace and mercy and love to this criminal on the cross. And as I read this story, I realized, man, we can learn some stuff from this unnamed man on the cross, this unnamed thief hanging next to Jesus. And I want to share just three thoughts with you guys today, three things I think we can learn from this unnamed man. And I pray they encourage you, pray they stir you in in your faith, and I pray they help you on your journey with Jesus. All I'm here to do is to help you on your journey with Jesus. The first thing is this, if, um, if you're taking notes and if you want to get to heaven, I suggest you take notes. It's not biblical, but I just wouldn't risk it. My first thought is this, this unnamed man, he saw clearly, he saw clearly. Uh, many years ago now, I was at university and it took me a little while to figure out what I was going to do with my life. So I spent six years at university. No, I wasn't studying medicine, uh, but, and then in the end, I became a pastor. But while I was at university, I, um, I was actually studying, I wanted to study physical education, but I, I didn't get in. So I studied a first year bachelor education, so a primary school teaching degree. And fortunately, my wife at the time had already completed that degree. So when I got to study it for the first year, I had free access to all her assignments, all her essays, everything. And I was like a C's get degrees kind of university student. I was not, I was like, what's the bare minimum I can do to get my piece of paper at the end of the day? And I was so lazy and I procrastinated so badly that um, one time I, I was so late on an assignment, I literally took my wife's assignment, I changed her name to my name and I submitted it and I got a better mark. How good is that? Don't tell me God isn't good, man. There's the favor of God on my life. But I was just sitting, <laughs> some of you guys are like, no, you're not going to listen to anything else I say. This guy is, how is he a pastor? Well, I ask myself the same question every day. But uh, I remember sitting in a lecture hall at, uh, at university and, and I was sitting there and I was so frustrated for about three months. I'm thinking, this university needs to invest in better whiteboard markers. Because from where I was sitting, always dull whiteboard markers, always those ones that have got maybe a day left in them. Where it's just, there's not, and I'm sitting at the back, I'm getting overly frustrated about the lack of quality whiteboard markers in this university. And then the person sitting next to me just goes, here, try these, and gave me their glasses. I put them on, I was like, wow. 
The issue is not the whiteboard markers. The issue is my eyesight. The, the issue is not that the whiteboard markers were dull. The issue is that I wasn't seeing clearly. Church, I want to tell you, it's so important that we see clearly. And this man, this criminal on the cross, although he was there because of his dishonesty, the one thing he was honest about was how he saw himself. He saw himself and his condition and his sin and the state of his own heart and his own life. He saw that clearly. And he also saw and realized his need for help. And I think all too often, we, especially if you've been in the church for a long time, and I know this is true because I see it in myself, we can live with this long-term denial of sin. Like we, 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 don't, we, we know there's sin and we know there's brokenness. We know there's stuff in our lives, but we don't deal with it. We just kind of, we kind of ignore it or we kind of minimize it or we cover over it or we justify it. Like I'm not as bad as that person or I'm, I'm, I'm not a murderer, so it can't be that bad. Or we just, we tolerate it or we accommodate it or we just kind of allow this thing. And so we can live with this long-term denial with sin for years. We can have the same issues, the same unforgiveness, the same addictions, the same brokenness, the same bitterness. We can have the same thing going on and on. But if we would just come humbly and honestly and see ourselves clearly, and maybe it's in that place of humility that we can meet God and actually get free and healed from what we're going through. See, the Bible teaches us that if we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just. 1 John 1 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to leave church today carrying the same burden of sin that you came in with. You can leave today free. You can leave today forgiven. And more than that, the Bible teaches us in the book of James chapter 5 that if we confess our sins to one another, we can actually get healed. Says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. They avail much. Man, if you confess your sins to God, you can get forgiven. But we can come and we can pray and get, confess our sins to one another and actually get healed from the stuff that we're going through. And I wonder today if we allowed ourselves to actually stop. And as we look at this life of this unnamed man, we look at our own lives and go, man, maybe there is something that God wants to deal with in my life. Maybe there is sin that I'm just tolerating or I'm just accommodating or I'm allowing to continue on in my life that actually God wants me to get free from. And if we would just come honestly, it's in that place of humility and healing, they kind of go hand in hand. And, and I wonder if we would just be honest and say, you know what? Maybe I've walked in today carrying something that I don't need to walk out with. And I want to encourage you at the end of the service and at the end of every service we have, there's a prayer team that come down the front and they would love to pray for you. I'm not even saying that because they've got nothing better to do with their time. I'm saying that because it's literally their joy to pray for you. It's a gift of God that God's given to them. It's a grace on their life. It's something that they would love to do and stand with you and pray. And maybe you can come at the end of the service and get prayed for that you would leave a little different than the way you walked in today. He saw clearly, and I hope you do too. The second thing is this, he believed. He believed. The world, um, I don't know, you guys have, I know you have out here because I used to live out here. Um, you guys have the, um, like the Takanini Papakura grapevine. Man, that's a time. That is, I'm still on that just for fun. I, I, I live in Flatbush now. I'm now in the Flatbush grapevine. The, the, the world of the online Facebook grapevines, here's what it is. It's 1,000 people's grumpy reviews of the world. It's all it is. 
It's, uh, it's, it's the most amazing place. So I'm, I'm on the East Auckland grapevine now. Can I tell you, if I believed everything I read on the East Auckland grapevine, I would never shop in East Auckland ever again in my life. One user goes on, oh, don't ever shop at Kmart Botany. Worst service ever. Oh, wow. No one goes on and writes, oh, ooh, just had coffee at so-and-so's cafe up in Howick. Do yourself a favor and never go there. Someone else writes, oh, the biltong at this butcher in Highland Park is terrible. Yuck, worst ever. It's really interesting because my wife goes to Kmart Botany all the time. And she never comes home with a bad review. She comes home with other things. <laughs> lots of other things. But never a bad review. And I had coffee at that ca cafe not that long ago and the coffee was all right. And I got a few mates who get the biltong from that butcher and yeah, it's liquor. It's all good. <laughs> the South Africans have got me here. See, we can base our belief system off the narrative of the world around us, or we can believe for ourselves. We can base our belief in what we believe about anything about off the, the words and the narrative of the people around us, or we can choose to look in and believe for ourselves. And with Jesus on the cross that day, there were two different criminals. One of those criminals believed the narrative of the world around him. One of those criminals believed the narrative of the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers. We know that because he joined in with the same comments and the same words that they were spitting about Jesus. He was the criminal mocking Jesus while he's being crucified along with him. But then there's the other criminal and he didn't just believe what the world around him was saying about Jesus. He looked and saw for himself and he believed for himself. Friends, this world will try and tell you all manner of things about Jesus. We live in the world of TikTok theologians and Facebook philosophers and Instagram ideologues and everyone's got an opinion about who Jesus is and His Word and His church and what the Bible is. The question is not what do they believe, the question is what do you believe? What do you believe? Matthew 16, 13, Jesus poses this exact question to Peter. He says this, now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say I am? I don't care what everyone else says about me. I don't care what those over there say. I'm asking you, what do you say? Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter didn't just believe what everyone else was saying about Jesus. He believed what he believed. He believed what he saw, what he knew, what he looked into. Who do you say I am? I want to ask this question of you today. And I want to ask this question of you, not just for those who are new to faith or new to church. And it's like, it's an important question to ask if you are new to faith and new to church. It's like, well, you're here. What do you believe? Like, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about his word and his church and about the way he calls us to live? What is it that you believe? I want to ask that question of you, but I don't want to just ask that of you if you're new to faith. I want to ask that question of you if you've been here for generations. I want to ask that question of those who live in that generational faith where your, 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 your parents were Christians and your grandparents were Christians and your great-grandparents were Christians and your great-great-grandfather was Abraham. Like, you know, you were there when the door got closed on the ark. Like they were generational Christians. Because what I've discovered is that our, especially for those who've been in church for a long time, our belief can often be on the coattails of our parents, our family, our culture, 
our traditions, and yet we are actually yet to answer the question, what do I believe? Yeah, you're, you're, you grew up in a culture that was Christian, and yeah, you believe this, but what do you believe? Yeah, your parents were Christians. Great. What do you believe? Every person who grows up in the house of God has to come to a point where you answer that question for yourself. And that's the moment where you really get saved. That's the moment where you really meet Jesus. When you go and before God and you answer that question for yourself, not what does mom and dad believe, not what does my pastor believe or my church believe, what is it that I believe when it comes to matters of faith and the word and prayer and biblical community and service and salvation and the Holy Spirit, not what does Steve believe, not what does Frosty and Darcy believe, not what does the church believe, not what do my parents believe, what do you believe? Who do you say that he is? The criminal I love that he believed for himself. In a world that believed one thing, he believed for himself. And the last thought I have here is this. The last thing we can learn is that he trusted. He trusted. Um, many years ago, my wife paid for me to do a skydive. We'd just taken out new life insurance, so I didn't want to read into that too much. But um, when you do a skydive for the very first time, it's not what you imagine. So when you, when you imagine doing a skydive, you think, yeah, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to have a parachute, and I'm going to, they're going to teach me how to do it. I'm going to jump out of a plane. I'm going to pull the ripcord. It's going to be absolutely amazing. That's not how it works. Your first skydive is a tandem skydive. What that means is you are strapped to the stomach of another man you just met in what would be described as a human-sized, an adult-sized baby front pack. You know how little babies in the front back there? It's like, that's what it's like. So I, you just meet this man and now you are strapped to their stomach and you are about to jump out of an airplane. You are seat belted into a permanent spoon position with a man named Barry who you'd met 15 minutes ago. And so they chuck you in an airplane and you go up to 10,000 feet plus and next minute, you, and this is all while in the adult front pack and with a man strapped to your back. You get to the edge of the perfectly good airplane and then they say it's time to jump out. You leap out of this perfectly good functioning airplane and start plummeting to your doom. And as the wind is rushing in your face and as the earth is very, very rapidly getting closer to you, it's in that moment you are thankful for the man whose stomach you are strapped to. Because he has experience and expertise and he packed the parachute and he knows what thing to pull. You are thankful for this man who you are spooning with in the middle of the air. Like it is, it's in that moment that you realize it's really important who's with you. And throughout seasons of life, you got to realize that where you are and the position you're in and the situation you're in is way less important than who's with you. Maybe uh, the team can join me on the stage. We'll, we'll land the plane soon. Well, that's it. Here it is. For this unnamed thief on the cross, the presence and reality of Jesus was of greater consequence than the consequence of the cross he was nailed to. The presence of Jesus right there with him in that moment was of greater consequence than the cross he was nailed to. And it's in that place of pain and suffering that he simply trusts Jesus. And here's what's crazy, is that we know that Jesus is the Son of God. He's God incarnate. He's the, he's the image of the invisible God. He is God present with us, Emmanuel. He's, 
all-powerful, He's all-knowing. And so we know that in that moment when this thief on the cross cries out to Him, Jesus could have snapped His fingers and taken away that cross. He could have changed it completely. He could have done a miracle, but He didn't. He remained in that place of suffering, of hardship, of pain. And isn't that so true of life also? That there's these moments where we go through stuff and we're like, God, show up, God, move. God, I need a miracle right now. And sometimes there's this move of God and you can't explain it and it's a miracle and I've seen it with my own eyes and there's so many stories I could tell you from from my 21 years, two years following Jesus where I'm like, only God, only God in that moment. But there's also countless others where I've also prayed or have stood with people also asking God to show up in, the, in a moment and yet He doesn't. It's like those moments where we're like, God, I, we hope God would move, but He doesn't move as we hoped He would. And it's in those moments that we have to trust, not in the one who just fixes everything for us, but the one who is present in everything with us. And as you look at the story of this criminal on the cross, it's exactly what he does. Not just trusting the God who's this cosmic vending machine who's supposed to fix everything and make everything unicorns and rainbows. Let me tell you something for free, friends. Read through your Bible, read through the New Testament, and you will discover suffering is a massive part of life. But it's not just about God making everything okay and making everything better and taking away all the bad stuff. Sometimes it's discovering the grace of God in the middle of the bad stuff. For those who um, have heard my story before or for those who are new to to our church or new to me or my story, obviously I haven't been here for a little while. Um, I shared, it was Mental Health Awareness Week a few weeks ago and I shared at the Botany Campus at five o'clock a journey that I've had over the last couple of years just journeying through debilitating anxiety and depression. Um, So 2019, I, um, I got... I got a virus that attacked the nerve in my inner ear, my right ear, and it damaged the nerve and has done permanent damage to my nerve. So I have like a neurological condition which affects my balance. So that's why I'm preaching on a stool. So if anyone's like, why is, why is this guy like not working properly? <laughs> Sitting on a stool. Um, it just helps me to stay really centered and really balanced. This is why I wear a hat in church. It's not because I'm disrespectful or I'm trying to be cool or like, yeah, I am bald completely, but you know what I mean? Got to accessorize the head somehow. And I got way sunburned yesterday at a wedding too. Do you guys see that? Anyway, um, because that, what happens is um, different. If, I, if I'm overstimulated visually, it affects my brain's ability to process balance. And so wearing a hat actually enables me to, it actually makes it about 50% easier to preach because it takes away a level of light stimulation. That's why I do it. So it's like a medical aid in some ways, right? So that happened in 2019. It was almost nine months before I was diagnosed with what was wrong. And so the journey of that, um, you know, every time you get up to preach or lead or do something like that, you, you feel like you're about to pass out. Can you imagine that? Like you feel God called you to do something. And every time you get up to do that very thing, it's like you're about to, you're about to pass out. And uh, if you want to hear the, the full story, you can go on to our website or go onto the app, find the Botany Podcasts and, and just go back a few weeks, 5 p.m. It's a Mental Health Matters night. Um, it's about an hour. I just share the full story uh, of what I went through. Um, so the, the balance issue started and then the anxiety and 
that just spiraled out of control and then it led to a place of just like utter despair and depression and hopelessness. And, and you know, it's a miracle I'm, sta- I'm still here on the stage today. But what, what I found was in that journey, I prayed literally for months, God, heal me. God, you called me to do this and I can't. So show up. God, I've trust, like God, show up. I'm, you need to heal me now. Like you need to move. And it's like, nothing's happening. Like this is now nearly three years down the track and I'm still on the journey of healing, right? And I've got advan- healing evangelist friends around the world. And I'm texting them, dude, you gotta pray for me, man. I need breakthrough, I need breakthrough. Anyone who is like, you know what I mean? Like we, we kind of don't look at like levels and seniority in like the Christian faith, but I'm going there. I'm like, this guy's almost a bishop. He's on, like I'm, I'm texting him. I'm like anyone who's a, an apostle, or, I'm just anybody. I need you to pray, I need you to pray, I need you to pray. And nothing, nothing. And it was in that season of brokenness and hopelessness that my prayer actually changed. My prayer changed from God, heal me now to God, I trust you. God, I, need, I want you to heal me and I'm still praying that God would heal me, but my prayer has actually changed. To God, I trust you in the midst of this pain. In the midst of this suffering, I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust that you're good. I'm gonna trust that you love me. And I trust you got a plan for my life. I'm gonna, tr- I'm gonna trust you that in my weakness, your strength is actually made perfect. That scripture takes on a whole new meaning when you're actually really weak. And you gotta trust God to be strong for you. See, God never promised us a pain-free life, but He promised to be present with us no matter what we're going through and to work everything for good. So for some of you today, my, my, my simple encouragement is to come back to that place of trusting God again. Some of you maybe like me have, you're journeying in the middle of something heavy right now. It's hard and it's brutal and you're praying, God move, God move, and it seems like heaven is silent. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Trust God again. Trust that He is the author and the perfecter. Trust that He's the beginning and the end. Trust that He has it mapped out. And it may not be your timing and it may not be my timing, but we've got to trust that he's, he's good in the midst of it all and that actually He's present with us in the midst of our suffering. And when you come to that place of trusting Him, let me tell you, you will discover a depth and a richness to who God is that you never knew was there as you begin to trust Him in the midst of it all. I believe that for some of you today, God is simply calling you back to a place of trust, just to trust. Can I pray for us, church? Come on, let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I thank you for this story of this unnamed man, this thief on a cross. And as we explore his story, we see so much of our own story in it. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to see clearly. Lord, help us to maybe look in on our own heart and our own condition. And Lord, would you show us anything that's not right in us, that we would not leave this place the same, but come to that place of honesty and humility and see ourselves clearly and come to that place of healing in you. Father, I pray for each of us in this room to come to that place where we can answer the question, what is it that I believe? For any of us who are riding the coattails of someone else's belief or believing what the world has said about you, I pray, oh God, that we would come to that place where we know who you are for ourselves. 
And Father, I pray for those in this room who need to come back to that place of just simply trusting you. I know it's hard, Lord. It's really hard. But God, you are good in the midst of it all. And you're present with us in the midst of it all. Just like you were in this place of immense suffering on the cross with this other unnamed man, you were present with him in the midst of it all. And God, you had good for him. And I know you have good for us. And I pray, help us, Lord, to come back to that place of trust.